came to realize that what started out as a natural disaster became a man-made disaster. We cannot control the natural disaster, but what we can do is control our response. Have you ever wondered whether disasters are actually natural? If so, you're in the right place. Hello and welcome. My name is Jason von Medding. And I am Ksenia Chmutina. This is Disasters Deconstructed, a podcast where we examine why disasters really happen. Thank you for tuning in. Okay, welcome back to Disasters Deconstructed, everyone. Hey, Ksenia. Hey, Jason. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. But unfortunately, we will have to start this episode with some pretty sad news. Um, I guess most of our audience is aware of this already, but um, last week, uh, Phil O'Keefe has passed away. And I think all of us have a lot of respect um, for all the work that Phil has done. I mean, just for you and me, Jason, right? I don't think we would be doing the work that we're doing now if it wasn't for the um, taking the naturalness out of natural disasters paper that Phil O'Keefe and Ken Westgate and Ben Wiesner published in 1976. So mm. I'm sure Phil will be greatly missed and it's a huge loss for disaster studies. And we thank him for all the contributions that he has done to this area. Yeah, absolutely, Ksenia. And I, I think the, the way that um, Phil articulated like the sometimes contradictory approaches to um, the concept of nature mm. in disaster literature and uh, really push forward some of the theory on like on naturalness of disasters mm. um, I, I think you know truly is um, one of the key pioneers in thinking about this idea of so-called natural disaster and so i think we're all just very grateful for his legacy of work right yeah absolutely and today i guess we will be talking a little bit about vulnerability and other um, structural origins of disasters so somewhat related to the work that phil has done and so far this season we've talked about different aspects of the root causes of risk and disasters um, and impact. And we've also talked about how we can work towards not creating risk or stopping these phenomena, right? And I think part of this discussion that is sometimes missed is the role of the community. And the community is really the first responder and often is, is neglected um, in terms of how we talk about community. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation today about because it's really putting community at the center of how do we respond to risk. In our previous episodes, we've been discussing the impact of disasters on various communities, be that geographical or social. But we've not really gone into a conversation about the role of communities in disaster risk management. And we have a fantastic guest with us today to talk about this. Zineida Delica-Willison has dedicated her professional life to building resilience at 
of at-risk communities in the Philippines and around Asia-Pacific by facilitating community-based disaster risk reduction projects, training, and advisory services, often all three converging with each other to enhance the overall impact. Welcome, Zaneda. Thank you. So, Zaneda, we're so glad to have you with us. And first of all, in this episode, we'd just like to point out that we would like to join in celebrating your contributions to the area of community-based disaster risk management, because recently, lots of amazing scholars in our area got together and published a feshgrift in tribute to you as a practitioner and advocate of participatory disaster risk reduction. Um, it's very rare that we get an insight into anyone's career um, like this. So maybe you could share with us a bit about your journey. Okay, well, before that, a pleasant day to everyone. Regarding the journey, the journey started when I was young and pretty, and that was many moons ago. <laughs> <laughs> the Philippines, I came from the Philippines, and the Philippines is a beautiful country with abundant natural resources. But inequality prevails with the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer with the leadership riddled with graft and corruption. As a result, some 40 years ago, many students and professionals became politically active to support the plight of the lower strata of society, which means the farmers, the workers, the indigenous people, and the survivors of disasters. The Philippines president then, who was known for being a dictator, declared martial law, and freedom of expression was all the more suppressed. Many activists and political oppositions were incarcerated without due process. I was one of them. Meanwhile, the country is a host to many hazards, both natural, human-sourced, and a combination of both, or we termed as environmental hazards. These hazards need not become disasters, but they do due to vulnerable conditions. Thus, addressing vulnerability is a key to resist the onslaught of disasters. Mm. Hazards do produce emergencies and crisis situations, but should not become disasters where people suffer, die, succumb to diseases, properties damage, and resources wipe out. If only those vulnerable conditions brought about by inequality, oppression, and bad governance are tackled, no matter how difficult it be, then the country and communities will not experience the devastation of disasters. Sometime in 1989, I joined the organization called Citizens Disaster Response Center. There we implemented a community-based or citizenry-based, development-oriented disaster risk reduction and management concept. This concept we and practice we raised at the international level, which is basically related to promoting uh, the participation and the involvement of local people in tackling the issues of the surrounding disasters. We believe then that this was the future of disaster risk reduction. I remember in 1999, I was asked by the then International Decade of Natural Disaster Reduction to give a keynote 
in here in in Asia. And that was the title of my advocacy. The involvement of local people is the key for future disaster reduction. Mm. Well, this was promoted all over. And of course, it's not only me, but all those who believe in the concept, including my friend Mihir Bhatt in India and in South Asia. And this was accepted by the international community, by the donors and governments. And in fact, this is now included in the official document and declarations, such as the Sendai Framework for Action 2015-2013. There are many people or even academicians who subscribe to the cause of community-based disaster risk management because it basically is the essence of disaster reduction because it is at the very local level before any one of us, donors, UN, governments come to the rescue. It is the local people who are already there and doing something to help themselves. So that's the low cost of disaster reduction. Before, that should also be the the, the, the focus of intervention or assistance. You, you're referring to journey. Of course, the journey is a long process. And uh, like that was in 1989. And I stayed at the Citizen Disaster Response Center for 10 years. Then I transferred or moved to organize another non-government organization together with my colleagues, which is called Center for Disaster Preparedness. And so it's now in 1999, and so it's now more than 20 years that the Center for Disaster Preparedness, or CDP, is uh, uh, doing some training. What we do in those organizations is that it's not only about developing projects and implementing them, but putting these concepts, uh, translating the concept and practice into training modules. And we give training to local people and also local government authorities. And sometime in, in 1999 also, I joined the Asian Disaster Preparedness Center as director of training and education. And there, we always say that this ADPC gave home for our advocacy and training initiatives on community-based disaster risk management. And so, mm -hmm. uh, it's been, this ADPC has been giving training and I developed many courses along this line and also directed and give training on, on CBDRM for many, many years. Even until now, sometimes I still come to ADPC for doing some related works. And after that, I joined the UN. I joined the UN in 2005, I, the UNDP, which there was an office called uh, Special Unit for South-South Cooperation. And uh, my post there was an advisor on disaster risk reduction. And there, I developed a project called 
Citizenry-Based Development Academy. And this is an, the concept is about uh, like uh, an academy or a university, but the teachers are the community people. So mm. we held about seven uh, uh, Citizenry-Based Development Academy. The first one was in Gujarat to celebrate, that was in 2011, to celebrate the 10 year or 9 years of of the uh, the recovery of Gujarat from the Buj earthquake in 2001. And so we, we went to, to the local communities. This was facilitated by ADMI here. That's why we, we, we really worked together well. Uh, so they hosted the the first uh, academy where in local people were the ones telling us how they recovered from the onslaught of the earthquake. There were many learnings from there. And the, so the participants are from communities and community organizations and leaders. Because my point was I, was, I was promoting community-based. And then when I was with the UN, I was organizing the, you know higher-level meetings in, in New York or in Geneva, and I was thinking, did I betray the community? And so I came up with a concept on 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 South South Citizenry Based Development Academy, which was approved. And so, uh, as soon as it was uh, approved, I, I looked for for partners to host or to host this academy. And the first one who 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 agreed was Mihir. And mm -hmm. he did it. He did a fantastic job in organizing the communities in Gujarat. We lived there, or we stayed there in Gujarat for three days, and having like a classroom, and it's like a university. But the speakers are the, the the people from Gujarat itself and from other communities uh, in in other parts of the world, also in India, and. And the, I, another idea of the academy is that, you know, when we meet, probably we meet at the international level, where there are many people who are international and national level, and the community, the local organizers, and the the local leaders never had the chance to validate their solutions or never get a chance to to to, to promote or or tell their success stories. So the academy. The citizenry-based academy is meant to do that, and so after that, we had another six in another two countries in in Indonesia and also in the Philippines. So all in all, we had uh, seven academies, and this is the last point. Uh, when I was with the UN, we organized or the consultation on coming up with a global network of, for of NGOs for disaster reduction. And so we started it at the consultation in 2006 in Geneva, and uh, the rest was the rest is history. That was uh, in, as I said, 2000. When was that? Uh, 2006, yeah. And then after after 10 years or 12 years, the the GND, the global network of Civil society organizations for disaster risk reduction has now more than thousand members 
a member organization, and it's now, uh, it's, it's, well, it, it's now stable, uh, meaning there's an office in UK, and they are functioning, really promoting uh, local-based solutions and localization movement. So that was one of the, the highlights, they say, of the promotion of CBDRM. Thank you so much for telling us about your journey. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, I want to ask you a little bit more about uh, community-based disaster risk management. So we see much more appreciation, and I use appreciation very carefully um, when it comes to community-based disaster risk management, but very often it's been kind of rediscovered, you know, in quotation marks by some of the Western scholars. Um, so they see it as this innovative technique, you know, that sort of came out of nowhere. Um, and we see so much research in so many programs that claim that they're based on CBDRM principles, but actually very often they misuse um, trust and maybe to an extent abuse power with local stakeholders. So for you, what lies at the heart of community-based disaster risk management? Yeah, okay. Um, before I go to answer that specific question, uh, the, the definition is important because I realized when we started promoting it, community-based, community-based, but it was mis probably misinterpreted by some donors or some even NGOs to mean uh, community-located. So that means uh, community-based uh, when when an NGO or a donor goes to a community, it is their project, but based in a locality. They called it community-based. So that is not the essence of community-based. Uh, it is not, well, of course, it's located in a, in a community, but the project is owned by the local people. They were the one who conceptualized it. They were the one who are owning it, and they're the one managing it and implementing. So that's why in some areas they call it now community-managed because community-based could be could be misinterpreted as uh, community-located. And But the essence of community-based is not about that. It's about uh, mobilizing, organizing people for their own cost and at their own time and, uh, and, and with their own purpose. So, so that's first the definition. But as I mentioned, uh, the heart of CDB, CBDRM is the involvement of the local people in all aspects of disaster risk reduction and management process that start from assessing disaster risk in their particular communities, identifying and prioritizing risk reduction measures, planning and implementation, monitoring and evaluation, learning and sharing. Uh, but yes, the outsiders or researchers, we could call it researcher, practitioners, government or non-government organizations, we can call them ourselves as outsiders that we, we could do facilitate that, that process because sometimes the community have their own 
a system which uh, is very useful, but we could help also for us to understand them and for them to understand other practice in other in 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 other parts of the world to enrich uh, their current practice. So, the role of the outsider is to help facilitate the process at the localities by starting from what people know and where they are at and by recognizing their knowledge and capacities, which we often undermine when we do not know the principles and we just go there as probably uh, because of, of some scholars or some uh, PhDs, they want to, 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 to go there. So, uh, which is, I'm not saying it's, it's bad, but uh, uh, sometimes if they are not properly uh, oriented, they could be counterproductive because they have their own agenda and sometimes could uh, undermine local knowledge and local capacities. So researchers and practitioners, or we can refer them, as I said, outsiders, need to start with a humble heart and an open mind to be able to understand the local situation. As beginners, it is important for them or to learn from the people by going there and experiencing the locality's realities. Let them consider the local setting as an academy with the people as their teachers and the community where they are at as their classroom. Listening is an important virtue that they need to possess. After establishing rapport with local people, then they can learn from each other. People will consider them as one of them or one with them. They can introduce some progressive concepts which may be beneficial to them as new or additional learning. Well, I kept on saying outsiders, no, no prejudice, okay? But outsiders in the sense that we are going there. So outsiders can also facilitate organizing because some communities are not organized yet, but they, they do organize themselves in different ways. But we can also facilitate organizing. We can facilitate the mobilization around certain issues. More importantly, when we go there, is the sincerity of purpose in our heart. And then we will, we will never get wrong. We may be uh, committing mistakes, but the people would know that if we are sincere. Yes, sincerity is so important. And moving on from there, I wanted to ask you about some of the stories of how this approach has been implemented and some of the challenges that are there, especially after a disaster. How do communities and outside actors implement this kind of approach together? You know, when sometimes there's a demand for a more command and control approach. Yeah, it is, it is, well, let me say that the landscape now is different during the time when I was, like, 
like 40 years ago, 30 years ago. Uh, but there are similarities. Uh, let me give you an example of how we implement this. We, we, we are an organization based in Manila. And so it is a very, uh, very Manila-centered. And the, the most of the devastations are happening uh, in the, of course, also in Manila. But there are so many provinces that are uh, affected by disasters. So first thing is, how can we reach them? How can we, we really be truly a national organization? So uh, what we did was, with the help of contacts uh, in, the, in, in the provinces, we organized regional centers for our regional centers, which means uh, like at that time, we managed to have 18 regional centers all over the country. And so it's like um, setting up on an, a structure with very few people just to have um, uh, contacts, con direct contacts with the community. And uh, th 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 there are several processes. It's like the entry point to the communities could be disasters itself. That means after a disaster, we go there or and uh, interact with people. And that, that could be the start of a long-term relationship uh, for future disasters. So, uh, like, there's a typhoon. And after that, you go to the communities and do risk assessment. But risk assessment is not simply questionnaire and asking them, what happened, but in a participatory way. So mm -hmm. we adapt the, at that time, there was this rapid rural appraisal or rapid rural social appraisal, and we adapt it to the disaster situation, and we called it participatory disaster risk assessment, wherein we used some of the tools and we developed some tools in making people participate or and making us participate in their agenda. So, like, uh, not simply asking them what happened or or what are their needs, uh, but in a more uh, interesting way for them to get involved. And those, even those who could not uh, write or who could not. Um, speak well, it's very, you know, visual and participatory, walking, uh, talking, and discussion. And that's, that, that's why it doesn't happen in just one sitting. It, 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 it takes time, uh, to, to, to gather those information. But basically it's data gathering, but, uh, but in the context of a risk assessment and in a participatory manner. So, so that's one example. And then, when you when you when you have the the result of the assessment, the next will be from their point of view, what could be the disaster risk reduction measures that they could think about. And so they would come up with so many ideas how to reduce their risk. Some. Uh, could be implementable. Some could be, you know, a least wish. 
So let it be, and then let them prioritize according to to their needs and according to their capacities and resources. So it's a long management until you implement those prioritized reduction measures and at, to, 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 at the end, evaluating and learning and sharing. So that's happening simultaneously in the 18 regional centers and also in varying degrees. Some are preparedness activities, some are response activities, some are recovery activities or long-term preventative and mitigation activities because in some areas, their problems or their issues are, are environmental problems. And our approach is not just a re emergency response, but a response to the vulnerable conditions of the country. So, meaning you're tackling not, not just a relief or uh, providing food and non-food item. No, it's, it's, it's not just humanitarian, but developmental approach, which means uh, rooting out the, the causes vulnerability because, you know, and that is why we, we were promoting has, uh, disasters are not natural. And that's why when the UN declared the IDNDR International Decade for Natural Disaster Reduction, we were, uh, uh, we were, um, sort of, you know, raising our voice that there are no natural disasters. Disasters are a question of vulnerability. Hazards will remain hazards if there are no vulnerable conditions. They may cause crises. They may cause emergencies. But if there are no vulnerable conditions and the people have capacities, then it will not become disasters. And so main main agenda of community-based disaster risk reduction and management is about tackling the root causes of vulnerability. And that's why I was saying that, you know, you do all these things simultaneously because in some cases, you need to do relief. So it is relief or humanitarian assistance. And in some cases, it, it, it is about recovering from the past disasters. And in some cases, it's preparedness because you know that there will be a big earthquake, for example, in Manila. Do you know that there will be a big earthquake? And I'm talking about now. So the the organization is geared towards preparedness. What what do you do? And of course the 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 prevention and mitigation, which is advocating for laws favorable to the environment, uh, advocating for Policies that are um, that are not detrimental to to to, to people and uh, advocating for a develop uh, developmental projects that are risk informed because what's happening is that the projects supposed to be developmental becomes counter development because they did not consider the risks that it will produce and therefore. So, the disaster risk reduction management is a whole um, multidisciplinary interagency. It, it's it's a all society approach and all of that. And the interesting thing is that um, I, I, in nineteen ninety nine, when I I I as I said it, um, when I have this keynote, I already discussed all about this consensus setting 
and and about the the, the local movement etc but in, it's now being picked up picked up or in the last global platform they were saying all society approach and uh, about this uh, now localization is a big issue it's localized and we were thinking well we've been saying that 40 years ago that it is the, the local people or the local uh, it is at the local level and now it's, it's a big thing and they're lecturing us about localization that there should be so <laughs> it, 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 it's a, it's a it, it's a good thing on the one hand but it's funny on the other hand but yeah. for me as an advocate it, it's still a game even if it is uh you know something that's that, that they they are doing doing it and it's it, you know if the donors really uh come up with that idea of 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 uh, the resources will flow back to the local people then that's really 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 good because this is one thing that i because i i, I uh how do you say? cross cross section my 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 role from community to the international level international level from the international to the community so I, that's kind of span and i just realized and I, I, I just realized that the, the 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 resources come also from the local people of rich countries. For example, you in England, um, in in America, you know, the resources are coming from the local people, but they but they cannot send it directly to the poor people in India, or poor people in the Philippines. So they course it through. Uh, either government or through through uh, non-government organizations in your country. So there are many international organizations present in your country do the fundraising for a uh, typhoon in 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 Vietnam or typhoon in Bangladesh, etc. And then they will, in the end, they will also give it to 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 the local people. But along the process. It, uh, it takes time, and of course, there's some facilitation fees, shall I say? I mean, but it's actually people to people, and and when I was developing this concept of South South cooperation, it's actually it's the essence of South South people to people from develop from well South means developing countries, developing countries, but it doesn't limit to that. It could be from the northern northern countries like your country. As so it is facilitating that that kind of of assistance from the people of your countries to the people of developing countries. So that's one realization that could support directly the community-based approaches in the developing countries. This is fascinating. Thank you so much, Zenaida. And, you know, it makes me kind of sad that we've been talking about root causes and inequality and uh, non-natural disasters for so many years. And still there are so many problems and there is still so much denial. 
And, but I also hope that maybe we will be the last generation who has to push the message. And then after that, we will understand that disasters are socially constructed. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I'm optimistic or delusional. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, well, I join you with that. <laughs> that, that we, we should be optimistic. <laughs> There's no other choice. But yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us today. It's been absolutely great. It's also a privilege for me to to talk about this concept, especially if you will raise it to the younger generation. And if the younger generation could pick it up, uh, then, uh, you know, the continuity of the advocacy, the continuity of the agenda of the community, of the local people will, will, will live or, or, or perpetuate. Uh, thank you so much, Zaneda, for the legacy of work and your passion and vision in this area. We're so privileged to have you on the podcast. Well, it's also my privilege. Thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you all for being with us today. And before you go, a few quick reminders about how you can stay connected with the podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at DisastersDecon. The podcast is available on all the major platforms. Please download, share, and most importantly, subscribe. And if you haven't already done this, we really appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. This will help us to continue making content for you. You've been listening to Disasters Deconstructed. And don't forget, disasters are not natural. See you next time. You have been listening to Ksenia, Jason, and me, Sinaida Delica Willison, on Disasters Deconstructed Podcast.